0: Well, good morning, church. How are we doing? Good, morning. good. I'm Scott Weatherford. I'm so glad to see you guys. Last week, uh, if you're uh, new here today, we want to welcome you. Last week, I was in Alabama. I was speaking at uh, the church that I pastored for a while there in Alabama, and I, they, they're without a pastor. And I went back and helped them on that weekend. I was there filming small group material, group material for you guys for the next series as we get into the Book of John. So we have group, God, group, and gathering material for you. Every week, like uh, we got the Book of Luke right now, so take advantage of our resources we provide online. Uh, you have your readings, your copies of the Book of Luke. Now, I've been writing a commentary on Luke over these days, and uh, y'all, that's hard work. That's all I can tell y'all. And, and Libby, who's our editor in our over communications, she said, "Pastor, I need more of Luke." I said, "Yeah, I do too. Just be patient." So it, it's coming. So we do all these things because we love you and we care about you. Did you notice the prayer wall as you came in today with our beautiful custom hope sign on that? Jake, thank you for uh, mounting the sign. And I think uh, there were some others that don't want to be named like Michael Morton that were involved in that. So sorry, Michael. And, uh, and, and of course, Chris Vaughn, our artist who did the hope sign. We're not quite finished with it yet, but uh, we're still working on it. And it's a place to place your prayers now. This prayer wall is is designed after the prayer wall in Israel. I can't take all of you to Jerusalem, but we could bring a little bit here. Now, is it a mystical place? No. It's a place we can declare our dependence upon God because prayer is a huge value here. While we were singing that last song, I love that last song, and Andrea came and she whispered, she said, that was for me. And I said, I asked for Jesus. But as she sang, I wrote a prayer request on a piece of paper, gave it to Tara. She's going to place it in the wall. And Tara, right there in the middle of hope, there's a place you can stick it right in the middle of hope, okay? So she's got it. She's getting teary-eyed right now because we are praying, believing God is able. Do y'all believe God is able? He is able. And so we continue our series in Luke. We're in Luke 3. Dr. Cheatham preached last week. Is he slick or what? That guy could turn a phrase and I so much appreciate him. Now, I didn't tell the first gathering this, but in February, my brother Stan will be back preaching. Aren't y'all, your favorite Weatherford will be back. Yeah, thanks, Jake. That was a little bit too enthusiastic. Yeah, but uh, just we're just excited about what God's doing. So we're in Luke and we're in week three and we, we stumbled into chapter five and chapter five is just full of amazing things as Jesus has encounters that change people's lives. And this encounters with a guy named Levi and he later is, well, his real name is Matthew. Does that sound familiar? Matthew, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So he's that Matthew and God named Levi and God comes in and Jesus comes in and he changes his life. So this is really, I entitled this talk, an invitation to change the world, but I really should have said, it's an invitation to change your heart. And then you change your heart, it changes everyone. Albert Einstein said this, everyone thinks of changing the world, but few think of changing themselves. Isn't that true? Now, I like change as long as I'm in charge of it. Of course, the only people that really do like change is babies, and they cry during it, right? That's supposed to be funny, but it wasn't. The first time I heard this, this quote, I was amazed to find that it was Einstein's quote, because I'd kind of categorized Einstein as this great, brilliant scientist But obviously, he was a quite brilliant philosopher. This is another Einstein quote. I think you'll find it amazing. I want to know the thoughts of God. Everything else doesn't matter. And I think that if anyone had the mental capacity to know the thoughts of God, it might have been Einstein, but he wasn't even close. Because we can't know the thoughts of God. His ways are not our ways. His ways are much higher. And Einstein, the great scientist, philosopher said this. Now, this is how I boil this down to, okay? No God's thoughts change my life. No God's thoughts change my life. The invitation of Jesus is always about life change. The intentional discipleship to Jesus is always about life change. Finding your individual process of discipleship is all about life change. And your life does not change without your heart being changed. Jesus said this, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. We say, "Whoa, well, whoa, well, Scott, we don't think with our hearts, we think with our minds. But I want to say this to you. If you take out your brain, you're not very useful. I know some of you Longhorns said, you'll be an Aggie. No, okay. If you take out your brain, you'll die. If you take out your heart, and the Aggies said, you'll be a longhorn. No, no. You'll be dead. You see, this is uh, we're not siloed. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. A. W. Tozer, the great pastor theologian of the last century, he said this: Your whole world is in your heart. What is in your heart? What are you passionate about? What what wakes you up in the morning? What gets you going? We had a staff retreat this past week where we. Mapped out all the plans intentionally for 2019, excited about the things that we're going to see God do together. And we didn't make plans and we said, hey God, come down and bless what we planned. No, we th- we wanted to have the thoughts of God. And as we planned, we wanted to have the thoughts of God. And this is what I said to our staff team, and I'm going to say it to you. I refuse to waste my life. I refuse. Only one life, how soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. I refuse to waste my life. I refuse for us to be an ordinary church. Aren't you glad of that? That we might be what God wants us to be, corporately and individually. My whole world is in my heart. I thought about this last night. Uh, I got home yesterday around lunch, and on the way there I got a text from my daughter and she said, can you and Gigi, that's Tara, my wife, she's Gigi in our family, can, y'all, can you guys meet us at New Braunfels for supper? The girls want to see you, all right? There's two ways to translate that. We get to see our little granddaughters, plus I get to buy supper. <laughs> the way it works. So we went to this place, and, and, uh, and I dropped Tara off, and and she, she went in, and I found a parking place because New Braunfels is blowing up, y'all. It's unbelievable the number of people that are moving into Comal County. And so I went in, and when I came in, my 18-month-old granddaughter, Lily, she saw me, and she began to dance because she saw Papa. And then, of course, Tara whispered to her, said, baby, do you want to go to Papa? She goes, uh-uh. She just wanted to dance in the presence of Papa. My whole world. In my heart. Have a dinner with the people I love, with my precious Tara. In fact, in Alabama, I could officially quote Gone with the Wind I'm going home to Tara. <laughs> my little granddaughters, my, my children, Caleb, Caleb, John, you guys. But I want to tell you something that's trumped all of that King Jesus. King Jesus. And what Jesus does. He doesn't replace these things. He accentuates them. And he causes love to bloom. Your whole world is in your heart. Does your heart need to change? You see, Jesus is inviting me to join him in changing the world. It's got to start my heart. It's got to start with my decisions. And when my heart is changed... My world has changed and thus the whole world has changed. Jesus is intentional. He wants to do this on purpose. He disciples us so that we can discover who we really are and to whom we really belong. In Luke 5, Jesus has this encounter with Levi or Matthew, same name. Levi might have been his last name, Matthew Levi. I don't know, I just made that up. But he has this encounter and in this encounter, I think it teaches us to let things settle into my heart so God can change my world and the world. Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray that it will not be my words or my thoughts, but Father, your truth that will lead us to understand who you are and how you want to build our lives. And I thank you that you are good. Give me clarity, Father. Work in the lives of these people I love and that you love more. And I pray this all in your strong name, amen. Now I invite you to take out your, take the weekend with you notes and, and follow along in the outline. I think the first point I said is that Jesus's invitation often interrupts your life. You know, you be going along D-Dot Day, Jesus comes along and go, hey, 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 hey. Little change here, little direction shift, little wake up call. And this exactly happened with Levi. Now, Levi was an interesting guy. He was a tax collector. That means he worked for the Roman government. And the Jewish people hated him because he worked for the Roman government. I have a friend of mine who was the chief IRS enforcement agent in the western part of the United States. Do you think he had many friends? In fact, when he told me that's what he did, I went, oh. Oh. I had a, a compulsion to go look over my tax returns for the last seven years. And, you know, so this is who Levi was. Now, he had gotten this job somehow, and, and he had jumped into it, and the Jewish people hated him because he worked for the Roman government. And so here he is being interrupted by Jesus. Why would Jesus pick him? Why would Jesus pick you? Because he loves you. And because he loves Matthew. After this, now let me stop right there. I gotta talk to y'all about this. This is cool. In fact, somebody said, Preacher, you missed a whole sermon. I said, I'll give it to him this time. Y'all get two for one. I go, oh, great. We got a pot roasted in the oven. Shut up. Okay, Here's the deal. After this, after what? If you look right before there, two things happen in five that are really kind of amazing. Jesus, um, he, he calls Peter to come follow him. He says, you'll no longer fish for fish, you'll fish for men. That's a small town now. So here's Matthew going, what's up with Peter, James, and John? I mean, these guys can barely read and write, and they're following the rabbi. What's up with that? And then something really crazy happened. Jesus is teaching in this dude's house, and this guy who's paralyzed, his friends love him so much that they're going to get him to Jesus because Jesus can heal him. So they did crazy stuff. They, went, they got to the place where Jesus was teaching, they couldn't get in, so they went up on the roof, dug a hole in the roof, lowered him down in front of Jesus. Y'all, that's crazy. I mean, the homeowner's going, oy What's up with this? And they're, they're, you know, Jesus teaching, all of a sudden, stuff is falling, he's going like, this is awesome. They lower him down to Jesus, and I could see the picture of this guy's laying in a mat, he's paralyzed, he's being lowered down. I'm thinking he's going, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me. Of course, they're going, we can't have you any worse than you are. You're paralyzed, dude, just relax. Lowered him down, and I could see four heads leading over the hole, looking, going, because this is cool. And then Jesus says to the guy paralyzed, he looks up, and he's going, oh, boy, way to go, guys. And the guy on the roof said, don't worry about that. You know, we'll take up an offering. We'll fix your roof. It's no big deal. And then he says to the guy on the mat, hey, your sins are forgiven. What? And there's the Pharisees and the scribes and their minds go, you can't forgive sins? Who, who do you think you are forgiving sins? Holy, oh, 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 oh. religious people, right? And they always sound like, oh, oh, oh. that's what they always sound like. Just so you know. Film at 11. Anyway, Jesus said your sins are forgiven and they said, hey, wait, wait, you don't have authority. No, no, no. I, I, I'm Jesus. I could, I could, I'm God. I can do what I want to. Put that in the back of your mind. He said, now, take up your ballot and go. And then he went, and then he comes to Matthew. Matthew's going, like, what the heck is happening here? Peter, James, and John, paralyzed dude. Like, going to have to collect taxes from me. Hey, you owe me a pallet tax. <laughs> uh, after this, Jesus goes out of the room. He sees a tax collector who's going, like, named Levi. He's going, what? And he said to him, and Matthew was collecting tolls. and Embargo's probably taking some and putting it in his pocket. Like we have no government corruption now, right? And Jesus said, follow me. He said, hey, you, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow. Wait a second, did he not clock out? What, what was all this about? This is about an invitation that was so compelling it's so life-altering. It changed this tax collector. See, this was not Matthew's first encounter, but many encounters. And so many times, Jesus is up in your world and you miss him. Or you're looking at people going, what's going on there? What's going on there? And then all of a sudden, there is Jesus. He's in front of you. He said, I'm talking to you now. I'm not healing lepers or lame people or talking to the scribes and Pharisees. I'm talking to you. Follow me. And he gets up in our face at the most unusual times. And I want you to write this down. God will move heaven and earth in order to get in front of you. I don't know about you, but the greatest time he gets my attention is in, in seasons of adversity. When I started getting rubbed, I started looking for Jesus. Jesus. And maybe some of you need to come to Christ and what he's doing for you, he's getting in front of you. Maybe in love, maybe in adversity, maybe in curiosity, maybe in observation, maybe all those things. And he's inviting you. Why? Because in Jeremiah 31.3, he says this, the Lord appeared to him, Jeremiah, from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued to extend faithful love to you. Now, some of you go, whoa, 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 that's a verse for the Hebrew children. No, 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 that's a verse for you. I've loved you with an everlasting, so therefore, I'm gonna keep extending. You know what faithful love means in Hebrew? It means love that doesn't run out. That's the kind of love I have for Tara. That's the kind of love I have for for Lily and Ivy and sometimes for my kids. I have love that run out. I'm broken. And I can get that. Jesus is perfect. And it never runs out. You see, Levi was not qualified. He was not the right guy. He was a mess. He was an outcast. And Jesus loves broken people. He loves them. He doesn't say, okay, okay, will you get your act together? Will you quit drinking? Come follow me. You quit smoking, you, you come follow me. You quit dancing, you come follow me. You quit gossiping, you come follow me. Well, you know that last one ain't ever gonna happen. You ain't gonna quit no gossiping. Come follow me. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. Look him dead in the eye and say this to him. Jesus loves you. Now, some of you followed up and said, and I'm working on it, right? Jesus loves you. And what Jesus was doing here, he was giving us an example of his mission. And his mission was to seek and to save the lost. Later, we're gonna read this. He said, hey, the, the well don't need a physician to seek, dude. I didn't come to save the righteous, but sinners. And you read that, and this is what I've always thought, that, oh, he's come to save, not to call the righteous, but sinners. And I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, those of us who were righteous, we're okay. And then I read the writings of Paul in Romans chapter three. There are none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. We're all sinners. Now I can say, turn to your neighbor and call them a sinner. Doesn't that feel good, sinner? But the truth is we all are. And Jesus loves even those people who thought they were righteous. They were sinners. Because we all are. It's the commonality of brokenness. But we don't have to stay that way. We can become righteous of God. Wow. You see, the call of Jesus always demands a response. God will do a lot of things, but he will not be ignored. Sometimes he's silent. Sometimes he moves with great power. Sometimes you wonder where he is. Is he sleeping? One thing, he will not be ignored. I remember when a friend of mine passed away. Uh, Brad and Laura Chesnick are here from uh, Victoria. They were in my church there. You guys will remember this. When my friend passed away, uh, who's my great friend, I remember his widow was very hurt and angry. And I remember an African-American pastor friend of mine in Victoria he, he grabbed her hand and said, darling, you be mad at Jesus all you want to. You just be mad at him. But he won't be ignored. He won't be ignored. Because he'll get in front of you. Because he loves you. And the invitation to change my heart is the invitation that demands a response. Matthew got up and left everything. Like, what? What? Did he not check out? Did he not collect the money off the table? What, what's this all about? And I got to analyzing this, and I realized that when Luke wrote this, he wasn't writing it literally. Like got up and walked after him. He said there was a full surrender of Matthew's heart. Because you look at it, there's some things indication that there was some things that Matthew held on to. We'll get into that in that second. But he changed his heart. And he wants, Jesus wants full surrender. He doesn't want partial surrender. He doesn't want Sunday only surrender. He wants all of it. All of it. And delayed obedience is disobedience. Jesus said this, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. It's all in. Don't say, go bury my father go, and I'll follow you. Don't say that. Don't say, go get my affairs door and I'll follow you. Don't say that. Just come follow me. Now, delayed obedience is disobedience. And I don't know how many times in my life that I've delayed obeying God and missed the blessings of God because the blessings of God always follows the obedience to God. Come follow me. And Jesus changed his heart. Then Jesus changed his circumstances. He didn't go clock in at the tax collector's booth on Monday. He followed. But then Jesus changed his influence. From being an outcast and someone hated, he becomes a host of a party. Listen to this. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him, Jesus, at his house. Now, obviously, he didn't give up his house. There's a few things that when Jesus says, come follow me, that he doesn't want you to give up. And I'll talk more about that in a second. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples. Notice who they complained to. They didn't complain to the one who could answer their question. They complained to the ones who were influenced. Listen to me, folks. Most people complain to people who cannot answer them because they do not want an answer. All they want to do is whine. And we should be mature enough to say, stop it. Go to the source. Because that nips it, nips it in the bud. Quote Barney Fife, the great theologian. Hmm. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it because Jesus hears us. And Jesus replied, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance and y'all all all sinners. All of y'all. Wow. The outcast became a hope, a host. Then he desired his friends to know what he found. He desired desired them to know Jesus. Do we have that same strategy? That we want people to come and see and hear and be caught up in the movement of Jesus? Obviously, Matthew didn't give up everything because he had, had to have a big house. Maybe that big house became a place for big ministry. Who knows? I know this, that when you say, come follow, Jesus said, come follow me. Peter was married he didn't give up. How do I know he's married? Because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. You have to be married in order to have a mother-in-law. Why would you do it any other way? A pitiful mother-in-law joke. So, uh, in fact, Paul said to Matthew probably was married. Maybe the other disciples, were, a lot of them were married. James and John, maybe they were married as well. We don't know because Paul said this the other apostles bring their wives with them on their missionary endeavors. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say, you know, and you know, Matthew is married to Mary. It didn't say, it doesn't say that. But obviously, Matthew's full surrender meant surrender of everything he owned. It's all for you, Jesus. And when the Lord blesses you with lots of stuff, It's not stuff that you get to use. Oh, you get to enjoy it. But it's stuff to bless others with. The Lord doesn't give us things for us to hoard. He gives us things that we might be a blessing to others. Wow. Notice the Pharisees and scribes were were complaining. Grumbling will cause you to miss the invitation and the life change and the power of God. What? Yeah, grumbling. Listen to this. This is kind of a lengthy passage, but I want to read it to you. Now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And you know, this is complex Hebrew thought and most of you get it, but some of you don't. Just relax, get to the point. And they ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of them, most of them. For they were struck down in the wilderness, all of them actually, except for Joshua and Caleb, they came out of the promise, all of them died in the wilderness because of these things. Now, these these things became an example for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Here's the list. Don't become idolaters. That means worshiping another God as some of them were. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. This word play means they were indulging in sexual immorality as an act of worship. Okay, let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. In a single day, 23,000 of them died. Because they went into a foreign land and they introduced this sex cult and it was not good. And let us not test Christ as some of the did and was destroyed by snakes. My mama used to say when she heard somebody got bit by a snake, she said, well, I guess they were evil. I said, mama, what'd you get bit by a snake? Well, I'm just not gonna get bit by a snake. <laughs> okay. Whatever, mom. Nor should we complain as some of them did. What? Nor should we complain as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroyer. Now these things happen to them as examples, and we are written as a warning to us on whom the end of the age has come. Now here's where it gets good. So whatever whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. In other words, don't get too big for your britches, y'all. No temptation has overtaken you except when it's common to humanity. God is faithful and he will allow you to, be, to not be tempted. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you're able to bear it. In other words, when we a temptation, he's not gonna say, all right, I'm gonna make you strong so you can stand. He says, no, I will give you a way out. So when someone complains or you start complaining, what should you do? Shut your pie hole. That's your way of escape. Tell someone else, talk to the hand. I don't want to hear it. Go talk to the people who have an answer, not to me. Huh. You see, the invitation of Jesus should lead us to self-examination. That we look in our hearts to don't fall victim to Satan's scheming. On February the 8th, we're starting a group here called Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery. Rick Bartino and his team leading that. Rick, raise your hand so they can see you. And his team have all name tags. This is a gathering on Friday nights to help you deal with Satan scheming that causes your hurts, habits, and hangups. Not just addictions, but all kinds of brokenness. Right, Rick? Who's it for, Rick? Everybody. Only sinners can come, right, Rick? That's all of us. So look forward to that, an opportunity. And you say, well, I'm not going to that. Okay, don't but do and be invited into what God wants you to do. An unexamined life is not worth living. I wish I'd have thought of that, but that was actually Plato who said that. And then Jesus says something really strange here in five that I just kind of scratched my head with and going... Okay, what's up with this? I mean, we see all this life change and this challenge and da-da-da. And then 36 and 39, he says some things and I want to read it to you, but I want to tell you what I, what I think. Here it is. You can't put a changed heart into an old life. You can't. Because it won't work. You can't have an experience with Jesus and be changed and then put it back in the life you once had. It will work. See, a changed heart... Has to go into a new life. And an old heart doesn't fit fit in a new life because the new life is pretend. Because your whole world's in your heart. He told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will it tear the new, but it also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts a new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will spill and the wine will be ruined. New wine should be put into fresh wineskins. Now, this is not Jesus' sommelier teaching you how to deal with wine. No, it's not, that's not, who he, it's not what's going on here. He's giving practical advice. He's, well, he's saying you can't take your old self with a new heart. You have to have a new life with a new heart. Now, I've read this, I've studied this passage a lot, I've heard a lot about it. Someone says, well, he's talking about change. You can't take a new paradigm and put it in a total paradigm, it'll blow up. But you know what? The church has never changed then. We'll still be acting like the Middle Ages, right? Martin Luther proved that long in the Reformation. He proved that wrong in the Reformation. So Jesus is not talking necessarily about change, but he's talking about our hearts. Then I read this last passage, and it really confused me, and I've really struggled with it. But I think I have an answer for you. And no one after drinking old wine wants new, because he says the old is better. What? He said new wine, new wine Old wine, old wineskins skins. And, and then he says that. What in the heck does that mean? And I think this is what it means. It's a matter of compliance. What fits with what? new fits with new, old fits with old. If I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I can't, uh, Romans chapter seven says, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death? He says, thanks be unto God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm free from that. I've got a new heart and I've got a new life to go along with it. I don't have to take my, old, my new heart and put it into an old life because it doesn't work. And I don't take my old, old, uh, old heart and put it into a new life because that's hypocrisy. I need new, and I think this is what Jesus says: Would you get a new life? The old life is going to look good, and you're going to be tempted to go back to what you were. You're going to continue you're going to be tempted to go back into those things immorality and idolatry and putting God to the test and grumbling. You'll be tempted to go back to that because you liked it. I remember when I was a youth pastor, we had a young lady who was just going wild. and I said, darling, I will well, to tell you something. It's going to ruin your life because sin is only fun for a season. She put her hands on her hips and looked at me and said, well, I'm in my season. If sin wasn't fun, you wouldn't do it. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Wow. So it's a matter of compliance. I can't go back to that. I've got to go forward with him. Church is the same thing for us as a church. We can't go back to 1950. It doesn't work. We have to move on with God. To reach people nobody else is reaching, to do things nobody else is doing. Why? Because we love you. Uh, if you're a first-time person here today and you're going, "Dead gum, these people are friendly," yeah, they're like that all the time. I don't know what's wrong with them. But it's love. It's love. And you know what, guys, I will say this to you. I love you so much not to leave you alone. I'm going to aggravate you until the Lord calls me home or calls me away. I am. You're welcome. John Weinberger, I've been aggravating for you, what, 30 years now? Something like that. Yeah, I just made you 45. So yeah, close, right? 44, I was close. Dang, you're old. That was his youth pastor back in the day. So we conclude, I know you're going, what, it's 12 o'clock, you quitting? Yeah, I'm quitting. Bonus, we'll make it up next week. Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing themselves. Your whole world is in your heart. Come follow me, Jesus says. And the world changes one heart at a time, and it starts with yours, it starts with mine, and it starts right here, and it starts right right now.